First day, I thought there was going to be a read-through, and I showed up in some, in some jeans, and I had been practicing in these six-inch stilettos because I was playing a transvestite. And the woman comes down, the AD comes down and says, you know, no, you're, you're not going to be in the read-through. You're going to go upstairs and do a dance rehearsal with Steve, Steve Martin, you know. Who, right, Steve yeah. Martin, right. Yeah. So uh, I say, no, 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 I can't because I don't have my shoes and I'm wearing jeans. She, she, she said, oh, but we have some sweatpants for you and we have some high heels for you. I went, well, shit, they've got me. Yeah. <laughs> I went and I changed and I, I realized that I had worn boxer shorts under my jeans. <laughs> and uh, the guys know when you wear boxer shorts with sweatpants, it's you problematic. You don't get... <laughs> You don't get a ton of uh, protection right. coverage, so to say. Or, or support. And uh, so I'm going to meet Steve Martin for the first time, who's a fairly curmudgeon -y guy, and we're going to do the Foxtrot. And I don't know if you know the Foxtrot, but the Foxtrot is accomplished by the man sticking his leg between the woman's legs and leading him around the dance floor. And I thought to myself, I sort of chuckled to myself, boy, would this be inappropriate if I, you know became around. <clears throat> yes, it, it would be inappropriate. Absolutely. If you became aroused. And you know how when you want to become aroused, it never works, but then when this is a totally inappropriate... I wouldn't say it never works. <laughs> I apologize. I should speak for myself. I 20% of the time, but I get there. <laughs> Anyways, nothing could have been more inappropriate, so of course I get probably the best I've ever had. In what? Life. With Steve Martin? The best. And I'm, I'm mortified because we haven't even shook hands yet and already. And every time he spins me, it's a thwack into his legs. <laughs>《3Films on a Podcast》has no claim of ownership on any film footage used in this episode. All film footage is owned in its entirety by the copyright holders and is used solely with the intent of film criticism, commentary, and education under fair use law. And just like every car in Too Fast, Too Furious, this podcast contains spoilers. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to 3Films and a Podcast. On today's episode, we are going over our last unsung gem. We're going to be talking about Nora Ephron's Mixed Nuts from 1994, starring Steve Martin. This round was my nomination, and I kind of wanted us to each nominate a movie that we personally enjoy, that we just don't talk about too much with other people. So that was the idea behind the Unsung Gems. It's been a, a really great round. It's been interesting to like to see all these picks and everything. Um, and yeah, today we're going to be talking about Mixed Nuts. So since it was Matt's pick, I'm going to shoot it over to him to talk about the movie and why he chose it. Thank you, Ben. Uh, <laughs> my family had a very consistent video rental routine growing up. We pretty much weekly would pick up a stack of VHS tapes from several different... Um, we, I mean, excuse me. Each week we wouldn't go to the different video stores, but like we just happened to rent stuff pretty much wherever we were at. And so some of, some of our more frequent ones were... Um, the video shark that, that was on Redwood and, uh, 70th South, uh, next to Smith's and became Hollywood video. Yes. And then we, we also frequented the I used to work at Hollywood video. grocery store. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. 
Um, yeah, I, I ran awesome. a really interesting money laundering program oh. there that we can get into at another time. But Ooh. yes, oh. video. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I would like to hear that. I uh, I never had a I never had a, a subscription to Hollywood Video. I was Team Blockbuster. I've always we, like. We, we frequented Blockbuster as well, but we shopped at Smith's regularly, so it was right there. Yeah. Walk over to the corner. Oftentimes, we'd go to the video store while my mom was grocery shopping. Um, but we also would go to the video store inside Smith's. So it was like literally wherever we were at, we'd rent <laughs> yes. videos. Yes. That's like a thing that's just gone forever is the grocery store video rental. Like that's such a, mm-hmm. a very uh, era, like date specific thing like, yeah, yeah it's it's, it's we red box our smith and it's yeah and it's right by the checkout and i look at it, it's like who is here that's just like oh my gosh i have to buy the crudes like how did i forget like, <laughs> I, I need, need to see here. anaconda too <laughs> i gotta get this yeah. um yeah so we had a very we had a very healthy video rental life going on and at some point in 1995 uh we picked up mixed nuts around Christmas time, probably in a stack full of other Christmas movies. And literally ever since that one time we've watched it every single year. Um, and it became, and obviously like comedy and like those, those type of movies, they, they kind of have a flavor like the nineties comedy flavor. And so mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it was about that movie and obviously Nor Nora Ephron has like some of the most iconic movies like that. Um, yeah. Whatever it was about that movie just like hit all the right spots for my family. And uh, it, it wasn't until like a few years later that I realized that no one else had heard of this movie, had seen it. And uh, it really just wasn't on a lot of people's radar. And now in the age of the internet, it was easy to see why um, because pretty much every uh, critic website, you know, just has it very low rated. Um, but mm-hmm. I still continue to, to watch it every year. I still love it from start to finish. And so pretty much any time I have the opportunity to like impose it on somebody, I do. <laughs> and so this felt like it. such a natural choice for unsung gems where it's a movie that I was 90% sure no one had seen and uh, 100% sure that I wanted to share it with everybody. Yeah. And like, how fortuitous you, you picked this movie a few months ago and just the way it all worked out, we ended up watching it like right around kind of the holidays. So it worked out in a lot of different ways. Really. It was really cool. Yeah. I was happy about it. I remember you had like zero hesitation too. Cause like normally we'll throw out a category and I know, you know, sometimes I like to take even a, a few days or something like, Oh, I want to make sure I get the right pick. But I felt like instantly you're like, I've got it mixed enough. Like, I've never <laughs> well, heard was, of this movie, but he knew for <laughs> sure that this is what he wanted to watch. Well, it, it was, it was funny because I, I didn't immediately know, like the, the second you gave yeah. that criteria, I was like, Oh, I have one. I have one. Yeah. And I, I didn't come to mind, but I went, I immediately went out and I talked to Angie. And I was like, Angie, what's, what's my unsung gem? After explaining it to her, and she's like, "Oh, it's mixed nuts." I'm like, "Yes, nice." <laughs> what, well, are, what was yeah. Angie's first viewing of this like? Because I imagine coming into the Weiler household, you know that now it's like, "Yes, this is a tradition that we're going to do every year." Like, what? How did she take to the movie? So it, it is interesting because so we not not only would we watch it every year, but my mom throws a, a Christmas Eve party every year with like extended family, like her cousins come, her brothers and sisters come like 
It's a big family ordeal usually. And we always have mixed nuts on on Christmas Eve. And there's new people watching it every single year. And it's it's fairly yeah. well received. Both the two the two people that I've shared it with, like directly, like outside of that context, like have gone on to really like it. Um, but as she says in her letterboxd review, like initially it was just like, okay. But I think there is mm-hmm. something about tradition that just like adds to it. And all yeah. every part of it just becomes a little more endearing when like you're all of a sudden pretty much familiar with the 100% of the movie. So, yeah. And like you're the way it worked out for you is you're always sharing it with someone new. So you get to like mm-hmm. see them, uh, see the things that you enjoy for the first time. That's pretty cool. It's uh, it's, it's uh, definitely yeah. a special thing that it's a tradition and like a holiday movie. So it happens a lot. Right. It was cool to hear you say that too, because I was talking to Ashley about it after we watched it. And I was like, yeah, I feel like this must've been a family tradition thing. And I was thinking about what that was for me. And it is also Christmas. And it is also something that when I tell people like, Oh, this is my Christmas album. They're just like, what? Like, this is so weird, but like my family grew up, like (laughs) I love so much I bought the vinyl. Like I love it so much. It's John Denver and the Muppets, the Christmas album. And I I love it so much, but there are people that I talk to and they're just like, that's your favorite. Like, listen, if I have desert (laughs) Island Christmas album, I'm taking John Denver and the Muppets. I don't know if you believe in Christmas. If you have presents underneath the Christmas tree. I don't know people that necessarily like really love that album, but for me, that's like, that's it. That's the one for me. And I generally love that album as well. And it's funny is like, I think it was last year, two years ago, I was looking for a song that Kermit sings on that album. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for like the normal version. Turns out there's no normal version. The only version is Kermit singing it. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Yeah, there's and just I like there's that no one's even been... covered it. Yeah, yeah, right. Just like no, don't mess with the classic. So, but yeah, that that was my version of like stuff that I know I've told people about before. That they're just like, oh, that seems really strange. <laughs> like I don't know. I just I grew up on it. This is the Christmas album in my house. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, so it was great to hear you know a little bit about Angie thought about it. Tyler, what? What were your thoughts on the movie overall? I don't know if you want to go into your letterboxed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um I think it's funny though that my like you know, my family tradition through the holidays, we watch um a handful of Christmas movies every year. One of them has to be Christmas Vacation. I think I've not talked mm. about this in Rushmore Mountain uh in our last episode. Um and you know, I th- I always thought that was like so cool and like a fun family thing we did. And then I talked to people and like just about everyone I've ever talked to does the same thing. So like <laughs> your guys is like are so unique and mine is the most tra- like basic <laughs> traditional thing you can I do. Um, uh, and, but you know, we, so we would watch that and then we'd watch like a rotation of like the Santa Claus or a Christmas movie or elf or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, whatever the Grinch sometimes either the old one or the Jim Carrey one. So it always kind of changed. Uh, but mixed nuts never found its way into our rotation. I wonder why. <laughs> I'm, I am curious though, like if it had been my dad's favorite as opposed to like Christmas vacation, what mm. I would think about it because, you know, I talk about it in my review and you and Angie both responded saying it definitely is a movie that needs two viewings. So I'm curious yeah. if, if my opinion of the movie would change if, if it had been a traditional thing and I had gotten to bond with it more because 
you know, for me on first watch, this was a very interesting watch. <laughs> um, yeah. and the, like when I went to go write my thoughts down, the only, the first thing I could really think of was just the cast itself. It was such a, such a, like not only a really, uh, incredible ensemble, but to me seemingly like very random or eclectic, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I watched oceans 11 the other night and pretty much everyone on there, you know, exactly why they're in the movie and they all f- make sense together. Right. But like Steve Martin and Julia, Juliet Lewis and you know, like they just, the whole group just seemed very um, eclectic and it was a lot mm-hmm. of really cool personalities. And, you know, I, but, and I've, I've always been a big Steve Martin fan. So once I saw he was in it, he's obviously on the cover I was like, oh, okay, I, th- I think I know what I'm in for here. It's, you know, Steve Martin in a zany group of characters going through like a weird Christmas together, you know, and which is essentially what it is. But um, I've got to admit, I didn't really love Steve Martin as much as I thought I would in this. Not that he was bad, but he mm-hmm. was he wasn't like my least favorite part of the movie, but he certainly wasn't my favorite, which I was uh, very surprised about that. Um, but he did give me my favorite scene in the movie. One of my two favorite scenes. I will talk about that in a minute. Um, Madeline Kahn, who I didn't really know too much about, although I'd seen her in some stuff. Uh, I thought she was really good. Her character was, uh, I-, I think the best performance in the movie. Um, yeah. And like, despite the fact that if Mrs. Munchnick was actually my neighbor, I'd probably be pretty bummed out, but (laughs) um, (laughs) like her character felt very realized. Yeah. And it was like, it was a very real person, Mrs. Munchnick to me. (laughs) Um, Juliet and Anthony Lewis were fine. Uh, Yeah. Juliet Lewis and Anthony, Anthony LaPaglia. Sorry. They were fine. Uh, She did her thing. Like, you know, she always does. And uh, he was just fine, whatever. Um, and Adam Sandler, who I also didn't know was in this until he showed up on screen. So that was a nice little surprise. He was very, very Sandler in this thing. Like, yeah. He was very Sandler, but we only get him a little bit, so it's fine. Um, Rita Wilson was great, and she was probably my favorite character, but I didn't really have too much else to say about her. Um, Rob Reiner did Rob Reiner stuff, and Parker Posey did Parky Posey stuff. And I knew John Stewart was in the movie because I'd happened to see his name somewhere, but I never recognized him once. And I forgot he was in it until afterwards. So um, nice. I can't really say too much. And then uh late leave Schreiber, um, super interesting character. And I was like, I can't believe a character like this was in a movie in 1994. Like <laughs> what a seems, debut. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Incredible debut. And I was like, like I have this like view of 1994 as some like puritanical time you know, pearl <laughs> clutching, but I'm like, Oh yeah. Pulp fiction came out in 94. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe I shouldn't be as surprised. Like, you know, um, but uh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, like I said, I was surprised to see a character like that in a movie like this because I knew there was going to be like um, a wacky zany, like, you know, uh, yeah, zany Christmas movie, but, and which it was, but like, it definitely turned out to not be like what I thought it was turned into more like of a more <laughs> dark comedy. Um, and like the beginning of the movie, I truly wasn't into it. Cause I'm like, I've seen a silly Christmas movie before, you know, <laughs> like that's what Christmas vacation is. So I was not really that into it. And then as the movie went on and I realized like, oh, okay, they're, th- that's not what they're doing. They're flipping it on their head. This is very dark. This is, um, 
uh, just a different Christmas story than I was expecting. Then I started to enjoy it, like the more it went on. Um, and as for my favorite scenes yeah. that I talked about, I loved the dance scene with Philip and Chris. It was such a nice, honest moment between two people from like seemingly very different worlds, like the places that these two characters have come from and just like mm-hmm. the way that like, like the romance of it. And they, they like, they truly like fell into each other for a moment and danced and just had like shared a really nice moment. I felt like super happy for Chris and like honestly happy for Philip. And it was just like very warm, beautiful moment. I loved it a lot. Um, and then the next part also involved Chris, but this time it was with Louie. Um, and uh, when he, he played that little ukulele song. We haven't uh, been properly introduced. My name's Louie. Chris. Chris. Oh, Chris. I wonder whether your name starts with a C or a K. I wonder if you have a skinny Uncle Harry or a fat Aunt Faye. I wonder if you know how good you look in those pantyhose. I wonder if you're happy that I didn't mention anything about the things coming out of your nose. <laughs> oh, so many things for me to wonder. It was just an honestly sweet little moment with the sweet little love song that he had repurposed, uh, to console Chris now. And, um, I wrote an, an earnest, if not misguided love song sung honestly and with pure intention for two different people for two different reasons. And I just thought like, it was just really cool to see it turn from like this, like fawning, almost like obsessive, like kind of creepy, weird little song to a woman that is far above his station to like mm-hmm. turning it to something to like, help out another person, you know? And like, it was just, I, I wrote that it, it was like, felt like he was doing this like weird Tom Waits impression, like with a yeah. high voice and a ukulele. Cause it was just like, or, or like maybe that it was what they were doing was something out of a Tom Waits song, you know, like, mm-hmm. and the simple minded ukulele <laughs> player serenades the transvestite on Christmas, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. I could just see it being like a Tom Waits. I didn't just like the, he, yeah, I don't know. It just, I never thought I would see uh, Tom Waits that way, but here we are. Um, (laughs) And I feel like, you know, to truly appreciate the movie, to wrap up my rambling monologue here, um, you really need to watch it twice, which I think is kind of what they were going for. They wanted that surprise. They wanted it to flip on you and, and, and like, and and turn, turn the, not the stereotype. uh, Like the trope? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they wanted to turn the trope on its head. And um, so, you know, it probably needs a second viewing. I just don't know if I'll ever watch it again. And I also don't know if that's necessarily the best device to build your story on. Uh, I hope you change your mind. (laughs) But yeah, that was the longest review ever. I apologize. (laughs) No, I I liked it. And honestly, I, I love two of your moments that you mentioned were also some of my favorites from the movie because it made me it made me connect to the characters like right the dance scene with Steve Martin and Leah Shriver like that was the first time in the movie that was like oh Steve Martin's not horrible you know what I mean right. like it's like his character this is okay like I felt some humanity for him like oh he's willing right. to like 
let his guard down and do that. And then it was the same thing. Like that's when Sandler, that's when his character for me was like, okay, I like this. Cause yeah, the whole time it's just like, Oh, are we, we're just doing like weekend update characters or something like that. You know, like we're just gonna do a ukulele in the high pitch voice. Like, <laughs> man, this is like going to get really tiring, you know, but then that moment happens between them. And that, and from then on, I was on board with Sandler too. I was like, Oh, this is great. I love it. Yeah. So yeah, I think for it's, sure. it's, yeah. I mean, it makes sense why those scenes hit so well, but that's what it was for me. Like it brought some humanity to these characters that I just didn't connect to at all until then. And it's all, you know, Leo Shriver is kind of just like the centerpiece of all this. Like I know Steve Martin's the protagonist and our, our main person, but I think Leo Shriver really, when he shows up at the office, that's, that's really when things start for me anyways. Yeah. You know, and I, I really, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed this movie. My letterbox really reflective of what you were talking about. This cast is like top notch. Like if you just like go from, you know, the top billing, even all the way like 20 people down, it's still just like, Oh wow, this is, this is really good. But for me and like my taste, and again, like I think I agree that it's a second viewing movie where it's like, okay, I get it now or I enjoyed a little bit more. But I also think that's like a dangerous thing to do with a movie is to make something that people may not like the first time, but they might <laughs> the second. But that's, I, I think in a lot of people's experience, that's the big Lebowski. You know, the first time it's like, what is this exactly? Like, I don't get it. But then Ooh, the more that you one watch hurt. It, like, oh, I really like this a lot. Um, do you not agree? Or do, I mean, I, I don't know. No, I, I, I agree, was, but I just, it's, it's funny to think about the big Lebowski that way because it's, yeah. you're right. And I remember the first time watching it, I liked it enough to watch it again, but mm-hmm. I just killed mixed nuts for doing the same thing. One of my favorite <laughs> movies ever did. So it's no, kind of a gut punch. No, I, I mean, I get it. But again, like I think also you and I are kind of on the same page where it's like, I, I don't have the immediate desire to rewatch this where I did with Lebowski. It's like, okay, I need to right. get this. Cause I know people like this. Like I, I, I need to see what I'm missing here. Whereas with mixed nuts, like I'm not opposed to watching it again, but I, I don't know that I'll search it out necessarily, but I do think I will enjoy it more the second time than I did this time. But I love the cast. Madeline Kahn was great. Like she's, mm-hmm. She's just so good. Like I was looking at her IMDB and just like her from Clue and Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. Like she, she's my she's so my favorite good. part of the whole movie. My favorite scene is probably her like unpacking that drum, like the the drum set in the <laughs> <Yeah>. elevator, <laughs> just like freestyling yeah, basically. <laughs> like oh, I love that so much. I and, so, and I feel the like they just kept rolling, right? Yeah. I feel like they were just like, she was like, no, just keep rolling. Like whatever she's going to do, let's just make sure we capture it. Cause I had such a good time with that scene. Like I just, uh, I, I, I genuinely hope there was like an aspiring rapper PA or something watching that. Just like <laughs> shaking his head. Like, uh, Madeline can do it. I'm going to do it. Um, let's see. Yeah. Leah Shriver. I thought he was superb. Um, Ashley and I were talking about this cause we got talking kind of about ensemble movies and, the first director in my mind anyway was Wes Anderson. Like when it comes to ensembles and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later, but through watching this, like the, the humor for me 
I guess it felt like it didn't commit either way to either being like a dark comedy or a slapstick comedy. And not, I guess it doesn't have to be one or the other, but it just didn't, for me, didn't do enough of either one to make me commit to like, okay. Cause there's like, there's so much room with the elevator being stuck that they're just like running up and down the stairs. And now there's a phone call. I've got to go. And like, you can do the whole Laurel and Hardy, you know, like just like running around each other and how are we going to fix this? Like there's, there's plenty of opportunity for a slapstick. And there's also the dark humor, which I enjoy. Like I, I love that stuff, but I just didn't feel enough of either one to just really buy into it. It's like, I wish they just right. would have gone either way. All that to say that when we're talking about Wes Anderson, I'm like, oh, I feel like he could have taken almost this exact same script, but done it in his, like his stoic, dry comedy, and it just sure. worked wonderfully. You know, like, oh, these lines are funny. I just like the way it's being delivered to me. I'm not enjoying or connecting to. I guess. Yeah, when but, I saw that in your review, I was like, that's why. That's why I'm podcasting with him. He's a genius. Because <laughs> because as soon as you said that, I was like, um, oh yeah, I like this movie so much more if it's a Wes Anderson movie. Right. And I mean, maybe that's just like the times for us and Wes Anderson and being able to see this. I'm like, oh, that would be good. I could I could get into this like that would that would totally work for me. But I could also see Wes Anderson movies being delivered like this and not connecting to them. So I think it is definitely just like the approach that's given. Um, I always want more Parker Posey like <laughs> in anything like the the Christopher Guest movies like she's always my favorite part of those over a dog's toy a dog's toy yes that's well what we're you don't know about. my dog a lot of uh, you obviously don't dog's. know my dog there's a pet dog. store right downstairs why don't we go a down pet store down the stairs yes what are you a wizard a genius what did you tell me that before you thanks for your help you stupid Between, you know, her and Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, like they're, I just always want Parker Posey. And I ended mine kind of talking about how this is now my second favorite movie with Adam Sandler and Jon Stewart. Because, <laughs> you know, shout out Big Daddy, which is always going to be number one for me. But, <laughs> but uh, I am real glad you're all here tonight because I'm about to do something that I never thought I'd have the guts to do. Um, you're not proposing, are you? Uh, yeah, pal, I am. Well, Think about it, you know? God, Sonny, shut up. Fuzz, did you figure out who he is, who Jon Stewart is after the yeah, movie? I eventually had to look, but I genuinely, like, for whatever reason, oh, I didn't okay, know yeah. I didn't know Sandler was in it and uh, Juliette Lewis. And so when I saw him, I was like, oh, shit, this is cool, like, early mm-hmm. in their career. But I somehow I knew Jon Stewart was in it. Yeah. So, I was, like, I started the movie looking for him, and he's one of the first things you see. But then I just forgot about him because I didn't recognize him. And, yeah. Yeah, just must have been early enough, you know, they just didn't really, really connect or whatever. But yeah, overall, I mean, I gave this movie two stars and I know it's kind of a a low score, but I do think it would go up on a second rewatch. I think it's just being in the right mind frame to watch it again. Um, For sure. But yeah, overall, that's my review. Matt, I know you talked about your history with the movie. Do you want to talk about your letterbox at all or how how it played for you on this most recent rewatch? Yeah. Um, so I obviously over the years, I have mixed nuts goggles on. <laughs> so a lot of like the um, like, w- would it be better this way or that way? Well, first of all, let's just say that a lot of movies would be better if Wes Anderson had done them. You know, like <laughs> Fair he's, enough. he's got that. Yeah. <laughs> he's got that touch. He's got the recipe. He knows what he's doing. Um, but to me, like, I, I don't I, I wouldn't change anything about it. Um, 
But like I said, like I even said in my letterbox review, like I'm reading through these these reviews that other people are leaving, like one stars and two stars. I'm like, these guys are all there's a huge misunderstanding here. But I realize that, like, (laughs) I'm the minority who's who must be misunderstanding something. But um, no, I I do just like have so much um, love for this movie. And like as far as like the characters and like the way we're introduced to them and like the way they progress throughout the story um, is like as much as it is like a 90s comedy. And like for me, it's like this thing is just oozing with its 90s ness. Like I I love even like the I mean, Ben, you called out like Steve Martin's exaggerated like movements, which mm-hmm. I had never like heard articulated before. And it's like definitely right. And like. I mean, I attribute that to the character Philip, who's like kind of like a stiff, but like at at its yeah. core, like like there's those there's that type of comedy that doesn't resonate the same way in 2020 as it did in the 90s. Um, like you can go back and watch Tom Hanks doing like the same stuff in in his movies. I do think like as as much as it is like still trying to be a comedy and a dark comedy, and I do agree that like it has a hard time being one or the other or the other. Um, I still look at it as like a, a drama as well because you have these characters, and I know that like comedies have a lot of heart as well. So this isn't to say that this is unique in a, from a comedy standpoint, but I mean you have characters in the beginning, and you're introduced to them. Um, it, it almost feels like one of those like um, those like party improv games where like you draw a character out of a hat and you have to play that character for like yeah. the next hour and a half. <laughs> and so like, yeah, if you have like these all these unique characters um, that have their little quirks, they have their problem, they have their things that are missing in their lives. And through the transcourse of the movie, like just from this one Christmas and how things like fell into place. And I call like in the typical comedy of errors. Um, these, you know, characters are finding fulfillment and are finding like that missing piece that they didn't have before. And so like, and that's part of what makes those scenes that you guys mentioned, like really sweet. Like you have the Philip and Chris dancing scene. Like when, when you're introduced to Chris, um, as a, as a transvestite in 1994, there's a huge, uh, missing element of acceptance, um, that she's missing. For Philip, he's a huge stiff who's who may or may not be good at his job. He's trying to figure that out. Yeah, let's talk about that after this. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) but I mean, he's he's like learning that he's actually like really bad in person, and that even though he works at like a suicide hotline, he's like not the most warm-hearted, you know, person on the planet. And so for him to like have his heart soften in that moment to to truly help someone and like like fill that need um, was really cool. And then, you know, Louie doing the same thing, uh, you know, with Chris again later on. But I mean, it happens for everybody. And like by the end of the movie, Philip is saving Felix, who at the beginning of the movie he hates. Well, pretty much everybody hates. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I just I, I love each character arc. Um, 
I, I read Roger Ebert's review where he was like, Everyone, every individual character was really good, but it felt like just a bunch of clowns being as loud as they could be on screen. <laughs> so it was like hard to enjoy like all of it at once. But I think like it's it's hard to take the goggles off for me at this point. Like I just enjoy the whole thing through and through. It's bad. Wow. It's bad. Woo! Is it bad? I, I mean, I don't know. Really, really bad. I don't understand. Uh, Why would you have writing? Madeline Kahn in a movie and have her spend the whole movie stuck in an elevator screaming? I mean, what did she think when she was looking at the script? Yeah. Oh, great, I have 17 screams. Uh, the movie is just, uh, it's not worth even talking about anymore. Just forget about it. What do you think, huh? Well, just, there's a lot of names that people might get drawn on. They might, you know, in the ads, it's going to say from the director of Sleepless in Seattle. So well, here's our warning. This movie isn't Sleepless. It's not in Seattle. There you go. And it's not any good. Yeah, um, is he, yeah, is Philip good? Like, is the service they're providing good? <laughs> like, I know it's good intentions, but like, <laughs> I, like I'm telling you, every time he answered the phone, or, and well, he delayed answering the phone so he could like, take his notes. A call. I'll get it. Line one. <clears throat> Hello, this is Lifesavers. Merry Christmas. Like it just it just annoyed me so much. Yeah. I know it's I know it's supposed to, but it was just like Yeah. Well I bro, feel like, like one of the one of the jokes I think there is that like you have these people working at this hotline and it's almost like they're there because it's almost like it's not even their choice per se. It is their choice, but like Mrs. Munchnik's big problem is that she really doesn't have anywhere to go. Like she's boasting about having that she could go hang out with her dead husband's family. But that's like really not a place to go. Right. Right. And then like Catherine lives with her mom and she's like trashing living with her mom the whole time. Like they're there because like it's all they have basically. And so mm -hmm. like they're they're good in their own ways. But like ultimately, I think the joke is that like they're they need help themselves. For sure. You know? Yeah. Which, yeah. I, yeah, I think works. And it was funny hearing, I, I guess, like, have it articulated in the movie as, like, you are great on the phone. You are horrible in person. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, the, I mean, that happens to a lot of people, even in different industries now. It was just like customer service or something. You have your, your phone voice, your phone presentation, that kind of a thing. But when you're presented with something in person, it's like, I don't know how to handle this this way. Yeah. And he's just not great at it. But, yeah, I mean, it was funny every time, just like we'd be four rings in before he finally picks up because he's taking on the notes and jotting the time. And I'm stressing out on my end. I'm like, dude, pick up the phone, yeah. <laughs> like, write this down after, you know? But uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some fun moments with that, you know, and same with the, the, what is it like the, the fuzz or whatever on the phone when the guy calls, he has the gun to his head. Oh, the static. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, just, just click it. Just click oh, it. That'll yeah. really, that'll help us. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, that was really morbid there. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. Yeah. It, was just, it was very morbid. Hello? Static again. Hello? 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 I can't hear you. Try clicking the little button. I'm having a problem hearing you. Look, I'm at the end of my rope and I want to die. Click it. Click it, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I guess, you know, talking about the Roger Ebert review, it's just like a bunch of clowns coming in and being loud. I think that was part of it for me, too, is it felt like like the individual roles for everyone weren't meeting how great these actors are. 
Um, and that was part of the issue for me too. But I, I do want to kind of segue into talking about ensemble films because I do think, you know, that's something that all three of us mentioned. Like the, the cast really is amazing in this movie. There's, there's no way around that. Um, and there's just something always enjoyable about an ensemble film and seeing how everyone works together. I think one of my most favorite recent ones has been Knives Out, which has oh, had yeah. a, a star-studded cast, like top to bottom. Like it was so good. You know, the cop that doesn't say much at all is Lakeith Stanfield. I and mean, like he's amazing. <laughs> he's so yeah. good. You know, and he's just the guy just kind of standing there and says like a few things. I mean, they get Frank Oz to come in for essentially like a little cameo part. Like it's, <laughs> oh, man. I love Knives Out a lot. I, I put together, Me you know, too. kind of a list of, some of my favorites, but. Fuzz, I mean, I kind of want to throw to you and see what your thoughts were on, you know, some of your, maybe some of your favorite ensemble films or how this ensemble worked for you. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you, when you, uh, when you mentioned, when you told us that, you know, what we were going to be talking about, um, I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't know anything about ensemble. I don't know if I know that many ensemble <laughs> movies, like for whatever reason, I just couldn't, <clears throat> I couldn't think of any, I like, cause I didn't. I, I never thought of the the movies that I ended up coming across as ensemble movies until I was supposed to, right? So like yeah. um even like um even like a Wes Anderson movie, uh I never thought of it as an ensemble movie. I thought of it as like a Wes Anderson movie that just all these people mm-hmm. happened to be in. Because the point didn't seem to be to get all these people together. Right. Like something like Ocean's Eleven, a movie that I really like. The point of that movie seems to be to just put all these people together, give them cool characters and let them do cool stuff. Right. Which is great. It works really well. But like um, like that was the only movie I could really think of. So like, you know, going through it, like when I realized like, oh, Anchorman, that's an ensemble movie. Hey, nice clothes, gentlemen. I didn't know the Salvation Army was having a sale. (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? Look at these guys. (laughs) Hey, where did you get those clothes? At the toilet store? Which also, in my opinion, needs a second watch. So again, I'm disproving my own theory. Inception, like that's an ensemble movie, but I don't think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And like Lord of the Rings is technically an ensemble and I'm just, you know, I'm looking at a list here, Pulp Fiction's an ensemble. So to me, it's almost like for an ensemble to truly work, maybe it just like, it's hard because Nora Ephron is a great director, but it's like, maybe it's all about the direction and the actual story and whether or not, whether or not the director has the right vision for the story to transcend the characters and the ensemble itself. Right. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just putting this together in my head right now as I'm talking. So maybe I'm just talking out of my ass here, but like, <laughs> you know, saving private Ryan, that's an ensemble movie, but like, I, I never thought of it that way because to me, the movie isn't about the ensemble. And I sort of feel like mm-hmm. mixed nuts in some way. I mean, it's an interesting story, right? Like it's not, it's not that it's not a creative, interesting uh, angle for a story, but like, to me, it just, it, it seems like, they're like, oh yeah, we've got this, you know, zany story. We can throw it together, and we'll just put like all these the zaniest actors we can think together to do it. Right? Like, it seemed like the story yeah. was servicing the ensemble more than the ensemble was servicing the story. Um, so yeah, um, 
but as it turns out, I've, I love I, a great handful of ensemble movies. I'm going through these lists like, Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. A lot of my favorite movies are technically ensemble movies. So it was, it was kind of an interesting little mental journey to go through. No, I, I agree. I think, you know, talking about Wes Anderson, I think kind of the difference in some of these, like I think a good ensemble movie, the director is able to build that chemistry within the characters, you know, within the actors, Whereas, you know, something like this, not to say that the chemistry wasn't there, but it just felt like who's who's like the funniest, zaniest, whatever person we can get for this role, but not so much about like, well, what is it like if Anthony LaPaglia and Juliette Lewis are together? Like, do we buy them as a couple or is it are they just like the two best individuals that we could have gotten for this role? You know, same, you know, I, like I, I buy the Parker Posey, John Stewart, like snobbish sure. couple. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's fine. But I did have a hard time with Juliette Lewis and Anthony Pagley. I'm like, I don't know that this makes sense to me at all. You know what's you funny? Know? I didn't get that from them. I, I see what you're saying. But for me personally, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, these two people make sense together. You know that's, what I mean? Yeah. But good. it's just yeah. interesting you didn't feel that same way. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what it was about it, you know, but it's just like but I think that's where someone like Wes Anderson can come in and and shines, you know, because like he has his, you know, set collection of actors that are always hmm. there, but then every once in a while it's like let's throw in an Ed Norton or yeah. you know, let's let's throw in whatever Ray Fiennes, let's bring him in cuz I think Grand Budapest is the greatest ensemble movie he's made you know as far as actual ensemble I, Royal Tenenbaums would be my favorite I love Life Aquatic but mm-hmm. Grand Budapest for me is just like man that cast is amazing it is such an amazing cast um, but yeah I don't know how about you Malik what are your thoughts on on how this ensemble worked and some of your other favorite ensemble movies well I feel like there's there's two different I feel like we get two different types of ensemble movies you have the the kind that are way more deliberate where you have like actors who are maybe at, at the peak of their career at that time mm-hmm. um, that you pull together. And when you see like that cast, you're like, Oh my gosh. And I feel like Wes Anderson, like really fits that like really well. And, and, and so do the other ones that were mentioned, like when Chris Nolan does it, um, yeah. like these are, these are people who are in their, in the primes of their careers. Uh, we are, people already love each one of those actors for like different things. And I think when you get that together and Knives Out is another example of that. Um, I remember Jamie Lee Curtis tweeting about Knives Out and it was like a, it was like a picture of them on set and it was like like 10 of them like hanging out and they all looked like they were just genuinely having a great time together. Yeah. And she's like, this picture like doesn't do the reality justice because I can't even describe to you how fun it was making this movie with all these people. And I think when you get like the right people, first of all, and then the right talent, like that's essentially what it is. And then the movie almost makes itself mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Um, it doesn't always work that way. I mean, you have these studios that are pumping out like these new year's Eve and Valentine's day movies where they're oh, getting man. every star they can possibly <laughs> yeah. think of to be in the movie, yes. but there's no, there's no real chemistry there. They're just, right. they're in there to be themselves and to have the five minutes of screen time, get their name on the poster and it's over. Um, but the ones who like do it, like knives out, uh, Wes Anderson movies, like you, you can really feel how much of a benefit having that ensemble together. And especially cause they're chosen for a reason. It's like, it's like choosing a basketball roster. Like we sure. need someone to play point. We're getting this actor. We need yeah. someone to play center. We're getting this actor. And so it's all, it feels so deliberate 
But then I think you have the other type of ensemble, which is half like 90% of the cast is at the beginning of their career. And you don't really know how they're going to be with the others. And they're not even stars yet, per se. And you have the two leads that, you know, are are stars. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really time that turns that type of movie into an ensemble. And I think Mixed Nuts actually falls into this category. Yeah. Where, like... It's not like uh, Juliette Lewis and Anthony LaPlaglia like are like superstars, but they did have like bigger careers in the mid to later 90s. Um, and I think this was still before maybe they peaked. Mm-hmm. Adam Sandler, like you said, felt like one of his Weekend Update characters. Like <laughs> he I, I don't even know what what. Uh, I feel like it was Billy. Ma- he was like the precursor to Billy Madison. Yeah. Like yeah, he, he he's developing he formed that character there. from yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> Bunt, B-U-N-T, in perfect cursive. Any more brain busters? <laughs> I will say, though, at the middle of Sandler Mania, that song Grape Jelly from the song, like, we played that frequently at my house. Like, we played it over nice. and over again. Wait, so, the so- <laughs> wait, are you talking about the song he sings to Chris? and the, the one he sings to Catherine. Catherine? Yeah. Who wrote that song? Do you know? I'm, I'm sure he did. I mean, it, I'm it, like, it's got his to- fingerprints on it. Especially the way that it works, like the device of it works in the actual movie where he just, you know, flips it and just changes a few words and it changes the sentiment and the meaning and and everything behind it. Like, that's a pretty genius bit of songwriting, like Mm -hmm. to make a song that's like that technically shitty, but (laughs) and be like something that gets stuck in your head and you'd want to sing along with like. It's pretty impressive. So if he wrote that, like, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would love to look into that now. Um, Yeah. But anyway, like it's it's one of those movies where now looking back, it's like, oh, dang, look at this cast. But like they're all in different states of their career and probably didn't have the same type. It wasn't like they got all the top listers of that time and threw them in a movie and said, OK, let's figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that said, like I felt like um, when and I think Adam Driver, <clears throat> if you're listening, Adam, just please be on our show at some point. <laughs> But Adam Driver has talked about just like how important the script is and how how like how liberating it can be for like an actor with a good script because it takes so much pressure off of the actors themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt I felt like just with the caliber of talent that we we know that they have because we've been able to see their movies over the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that the script um, was what could make or break the movie for this ensemble. Without a doubt. I think, you know, you talk about early actors and, you know, it coming back later, 20 years, like, oh, this was a great cast. For me, for my money, the best example of that is Wet Hot American Summer. Because mm. we have Bradley Cooper, Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler, like Janine Garofalo, Molly Shannon, like Elizabeth Banks. is like, it's such a good cast. And they were like, not that they hadn't done anything at that point, but they weren't who they are right now. You right, know, like right. Elizabeth Banks has gone on and directed, I think, two of the three Pitch Perfects, like Hunger Games stuff. We all know what Paul Rudd's done now in the MCU. Like they've gone on Christopher Maloney. Was he on Law and Order this time? I wonder. I don't know exactly whether or not he was, but that's such a different character. But um, he mentioned Adam Driver. I didn't even think about it, but like Marriage Story, that's another great example. I mean, we have, it's, it's a tight cast. But yeah. 
it's a like it's an ensemble. I mean, Everyone there's Alan a hitter. Alda in yeah. there, yeah. Ray Liotta, like Laura Dern, hmm. Scarlett Johansson. Like that's a pretty. I don't know what the actual definition of an ensemble is. If it's like more than three or something. Yeah, you know? that's but what I'm like, trying to wonder. Because like, well, again, Marriage Story. One of my favorite movies I saw this year, thanks to this podcast or this mm-hmm. club. And I didn't think of it as an ensemble because I think about it in the like the actual story and Adam Driver's beautiful golden pipes singing in a diner. So golden pipes, or is it a bar? It's a lounge. It's a lounge, right? It's a lounge. Bring those pipes on the pod, please, Adam. <laughs> please bring them. We're getting a little. We're getting desperate now. Yeah, let's not beg. Let's act like we've been there before. Yeah, we <laughs> might have an opening for you if you want to come. But Sometime after the holidays, maybe. <laughs> yeah, just reach out to our people. Um, yeah, sorry, I just kind of going through that marriage no, cast, but like, I mean, getting married, Weaver, and like, I, I just love all that that whole cast. Um, some of the other ones that I wrote down just to list off real quick jfk has a huge huge cast i mean we get john candy for like four minutes but it's great you know like and yeah that's a wonderful cast um i'm gonna try to reach out to steve with this one but it's a mad 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 world that at the time that cast is just nuts like milton burl sid caesar buddy hackett mickey rooney ethel merman like jonathan winters that cast was insane i know they tried to remake it very like not well with rat race you know like i'm always up for rowan atkinson i'll i'll watch whatever he's in you know but like that that also i think was a modern yeah kind of ensemble that they had going um yeah clue totally. was another one i had and then the last one that we didn't mention was magnolia mm, yeah tom cruise philip seymour hoffman william h macy john c Riley, julianne moore like i guess pta he's another one kind of like you know it's the anderson it's it's you know, Paul Thomas and Wes, they, they can get a good ensemble together in their movies. So, um, but I mean, speaking of good directors, I, I kind of want to transition now to talk about Nora Ephron because this, for me, I, I feel like this has come up a lot, you know, with all these movies that we watched. And the first example that I mentioned was 25th hour, where it's like, if I didn't know who directed this, I would not have guessed that it was Spike Lee. And I feel that way about this with Nora Ephron. Like I just, I expect Sleepless in Seattle. I expect, you know, when Harry met Sally, like, that's what I expect here. And to see that this is like one of the movies she directed, I'm like, man, I, I would not have put that together. Um, I, I love Nora Ephron and, and what she's done. I mean, those are two of my favorites. Um, also, what was the other? Oh, yeah, You've Got Mail, which for me, for my money, is the best Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan rom-com give me you got mail all day over sleepless in seattle i love that movie <laughs> um and then also got interested in, in watching more of her movies and we watched one called this is my life um this is horrible of me i didn't open up the imdb to pull up like the actress but it's the woman who voices marge simpson she's the the main character oh, okay. the main actor in this movie is julie kavner yes yeah okay. yep and um Gabby Hoffman's in it and playing uh, one of her daughters and basically just like it's essentially going back like at the reviews people are saying Amy Sherman Palladino owes Nora Ephron like all of her royalties because this is essentially Marvelous Mrs. Maisel before Maisel happened like a mom (laughs) is a single mom then she tries to you know make it in the stand up gig and she does and becomes famous and it's like how you deal with your kids you know as you're away trying to like provide for them but they just think you're being away from them and all this stuff you know it's it was really really good i really enjoyed it though and i, I mean i i don't know i i'm always up for a nora efron i don't think there's 
necessarily really a, a bad one, to be honest, at least that I've seen. But I'm curious to hear your guys' take on Nora Ephron, what your relationship is with those movies, if you have some that you love or that, you know, you just haven't really connected with. Um, Matt, I mean, I'll toss it to you. Obviously, Mixed Nuts is on that list, but what else from Nora Ephron are you a fan of? I mean, like I said, I, I felt like Mixed Nuts was... And I, I saw a review on Letterboxd saying, like, this is the most 1994 movie ever made. And I think there you have these these um, artists, directors, writers who, like, did the, some of their best work in a certain period of time. So much so that, like, they they are not they, like you can't even take them out of that period of time. And. Like I, her best work, obviously, I agree with you. Sleepless in Seattle, best. I agree with you completely, Ben. Sleepless in Seattle is by far the best. <laughs> Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks movie. Listen, <laughs> you and your ATATs can take Sleepless in Seattle wherever you want. Me and the ad ads are go ride around with you've got mail. Oh man, no, but I feel like there is like a feeling, and I agree with you. Like I wouldn't have guessed that. The, the person who did When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, um, that that she also did Mixed Nuts. I, I learned that recently. Um, but it does make sense. Like afterward, it's like this makes total sense. And even like the, the romance, like the romances in Mixed Nuts make more sense knowing the rom-coms that she did in, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I wanted to call out was Michael of all movies. Oh, yeah. Um, that was a shocker to see on there because I'm going yeah. through like these 90s movies. I'm like, oh, okay. Mix, obviously Mixed Nuts. Whoa, Super Seattle. You got me on. Then I was like, Michael. That's okay. Travolta, right? Where he's the angel? Yes. He's the angel Michael. Oh, Is there a scene like at the jukebox or something like that? Like I've never seen it, but I just, for so some reason, I get Michael confused with the other Travolta movie, Phenomenon. Yeah. Oh, right. Do you go? And so like, I, I remember seeing both of them at some point. I don't know why I saw I look at Travolta and I'm like, why have I seen so many Travolta movies? <laughs> I don't understand. It's funny you get those mixed up because I was at a sleepover with my cousin. Well, I was way too young for sure. And we watched on the same night Sleeping with the Enemy and Pretty Woman. And I still like, wait, which Julia Roberts movie <laughs> am I referring <laughs> to now? Because like in my eight-year-old brain, I was like, I don't know. Like this one, does she kill him when she's in Pretty Woman? Like, I don't know. I remember telling my mama we watched the next day and she was not happy with that at all. Oh, so, man. But I have that same thing. It's like, ah, it's one of those two movies that she's in, but I don't remember which one it is. That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, I saw Michael on there. I'm like, okay. But that's one where, unlike Bewitched, where I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll give this one a shot. I'm like, I'm going to keep my distance from Michael. I'm not going to watch that. It's probably a good call. So I'm probably the worst person to end this uh, conversation because after watching Mixed Nuts, that makes, I'm going to call it one and a half Nora Ephron movies. (laughs) Okay. Um, I've seen You've Got Mail in its entirety, but I was a kid and Mm -hmm. I don't really remember it. Um. And, and and honestly, it could have been Sleepless in Seattle. I have no way of knowing. <laughs> what about Michael? Um, I get it. I get it. So, I uh, yeah. So, I've seen Mixed Nuts. And Fair enough. I mixed like review it. so far from Mixed Nuts <laughs> and a mixed review. Um, you got Chappelle and you've got mail, so maybe true. a desire to, to watch that. Um, it's, it's funny because 
I feel like I've seen Sleepless in Seattle, mm-hmm. and I feel like I've seen You've Got Mail, but I know I've only seen one of the two once a very long time ago. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Was she a stage director at some point? I feel like I read that somewhere, and that makes sense watching she, how she directs I mean, like, her movies. wrote but. a lot of stuff that she didn't direct. Like, obviously, like, When Harry Met Sally... That was right. you know Rob Reiner, so I think her yeah she did Silkwood and Heartburn like some of these movies that she wrote but didn't direct so yeah I don't know if she did stage direction it wouldn't surprise me but I'm I don't I'm not familiar enough with her to be able to answer that yeah I, just like some of the granted it was like a slapstick moment and a lot of the stuff in here was very slapstick but uh, after Chris and Philip dance. And then I can't remember what happens, but Chris ends up throwing Philip hmm. and, and he does this very like, Oh, like <laughs> stage direction. Yeah. That's going to be a great screen cap, by the way. I'm excited. But um, <laughs> it was very like, it was very playing to the back of the room. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was, he was overselling it quite a bit, which I think is one of your biggest criticisms of Steve Martin in this movie. Yeah. Um, so when I read that, I was like, that makes sense. It looks very, it's, it seems very, blocked out as if it were a play you know what i mean and and yeah. maybe this this probably would be a pretty fun uh, uh stage play but yeah. um let's adapt yes, it i i couldn't really i don't know so far i'm, I'm not the biggest nora efron director fan but fair enough uh, i know she's got some hits so yeah there's definitely is that so like does that Okay, so she's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yes, I can count. We saw it live on video. Don't forget Michael. Director credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them are smash hits classics. So she's batting two fifty here. Like, what number does that have to be to be considered like a great director? Like, did she get lucky twice? Like, what's going on here? Like, is she? Do we think she's a good director, or did she just get lucky a couple times? I think. I think she's good. I think it's, again, it's something where she got when Harry met Sally in 1989. Like she had a pretty good run up to that. Silkwood is a very, you know, well respected movie. People like Heartburn. Then when Harry met Sally came out and two years or three years after that, she directed This Is My Life, which was her first film. So it kind of seems like the thing where someone writes an absolute smash hit movie. Right. And it's like, cool, what do you want to do now? She's like, well, I want to direct. I want to give it a shot. Mm. And so she's given that opportunity, which is wonderful. And she says, this is my life, which again, I think was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, I don't know how it was received at all, you know, in the time. And then they gave her another shot and that turned into sleepless in Seattle, you know, and it's, I don't know, you know, when you, when your second movie is sleepless in Seattle, I think you kind of get a pass like, all right, well, let's see what you do. So yeah, makes nuts. I don't know again at the time how that went like went over i think people enjoyed michael i'm not sure but you've got mail let's go back to the the hanks and ryan well and just like get another smash hit i have no idea what lucky numbers is um no i don't know if either of you but it looks like it's the only thing she's ever directed that she didn't write because i'm not seeing it on her writers imdb so that's interesting that that's like the only thing Kind it's of Tarantino wish there, where it's like, does this Jackie Brown, like the only thing he didn't write that he directs? You know, she yeah, kind of just, pulled out with Lucky Numbers, but it's it's just weird to me because, uh, like, I have this 
uh, feeling of esteem for Nora Ephron, right? Like going mm-hmm. into this, I'm like, oh, it's Nora Ephron. Like she's a, she's one of the greats, you know what I mean? Like she's yeah. a, she's a great director and whatever. And, you know, just because I didn't like one movie doesn't mean she's a, not a good director, mm-hmm. but it's just going through her IMDb. Like all of her movies are pretty like, uh, pretty mixed reviews all around. Like they're pretty low scores, except for, of course, I mean, even sleepless in Seattle gets a, doesn't get above a seven, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of weird. Like I know IMDb ratings aren't necessarily the best, um, the best metric to, judge someone i don't know i just think it's interesting like i had such a high regard for her i felt like she had such a um a prestige about her mm-hmm. but then i was like nora i'm disappointed in <laughs> i mean <laughs> no, I, I think that's it not is, fair to say but it is different i think when it's like when her genre seems to be more in the romantic comedy realm those movies like i don't think ever have like you know high flying reviews across the board it seems sure, like yeah. those are always mixed audience reviews um, and aren't really ever competing for like accolades really. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I know sometimes I lump her in, which is the rom-com with like her and Nancy Myers. You know, I think honestly you could have like put them all on a big pile together and asked me to pick which is which. And like, I would have trouble. Like, mm-hmm. did she do something's got to give or was that, you know, Nora Ephron? I don't yeah. remember who that was, but yeah, I, I don't know. You, you know, you, you pull out two absolute classics. I mean, I think it's fair to say that when Harry met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle would be on everyone's rom-com Rushmore Mountain. Like if we took a national poll. And so when you're responsible for, sure. for half of that, it's like, all right, yeah, I mean, we'll do whatever Nora Ephron wants to do, but your point's totally valid when you like really break it down. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this sure, might be, but. might be a, a conversation for another time. Cause I, I don't know what else you've got planned for the episode and we're, we're coming up, coming up against it here. But I'm wondering like how many other directors out there are like that, that have mm-hmm. this reputation for being great or whatever because of a couple hits, like almost like M night Shyamalan, he comes to mind for sure. Oh yeah. Um, and I know point. people are still fans of his, um, in, you know, some of his later works, but you know, he, he came out, hit a few home runs and then just, in my opinion, struck out a bunch after that. So Michael Bay, yeah. you know, yeah, Michael had, Bay had is an interesting one, but like the rock and, uh, Armageddon, he did Armageddon, right? Yeah. So yeah. Both yeah. criterion then, collection movies. I, that's one of the movies that makes me cry. Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. Um, um yeah, but I'm wondering like, I don't know, Ben, you might be able to think of this easier than me, but I'm sure there's more out there that are like that. Yeah, definitely. Honestly, I'm just, my mind's going blank right now. I'm like, I know that that exists. You know, I'm just trying to think of like who they yeah. were. I think M. Night was a great pull on that post. one because, yeah, I think it'd be an interesting thing to hear from people. It's like who, who just knocked it out, you know, immediately with their debut or their second, you know, film. And then all of a sudden it's just like they have a free pass. Like, okay, keep making stuff, but nothing's hit quite like that, you know? I yeah, was, let's put out a poll. I'd, I'd I'd be curious to know. Let's put out a poll on Instagram. Who's pe- who people think are the most uh, overrated directors or one hit wonder directors that I guess would yeah. have to be uh, underrated because or overrated because it's hard yeah. to explain. You the exact criteria is they had a couple good movies and then they kept making movies. Like, <laughs> no, it's funny you call it one hit wonder because that was my thing. I was just gonna say is like it. I feel like we get this a lot with bands mm-hmm. where it's yeah. like you get a great first album. Like, I don't know how this is going to get received by people, but like I love Rooney's first album. I think it's top mm-hmm. to bottom, 
fantastic. It is so good. I have not listened to one other album they've ever made. You know, it's like, I don't care. I just like, this is the one that I like. This is the great album. You guys aren't going to be able to, to make this. You know, I, I wonder if, you know, this might be a controversial take, but if Nora Ephron is like Weezer, like you do the blue album, it's like, oh, this is a classic. You do Pinkerton, like, okay, there's some good stuff here too. But then you get to like, whatever the the their black album or anything else like i don't know that people are really getting into this anymore but thank you for what you did a long time ago with <laughs> yeah. the blue album with when harry met sally like that was great i'll have what she's having i think in my mind for some reason i can think more of like it relating to music and people just kind of like still pushing stuff out even though like it's maybe not getting received like that first those first things were um but yeah, I mean, I just kind of, you know, before we get into our rush more, were there any other favorite scenes or anything like that? You know, we kind of talked about it early on in our reviews, but is there anything specifically from this movie you guys want to talk about before we jump to our rush more? So my, my favorite scene in this movie, and the thing is, I got just to, I guess, set this up. I love like <clears throat> the opening credits, seeing like Christmas in Southern California yeah, um, I enjoyed the opening credits quite a bit, too, actually. And like so, some of the shots like throughout, even even in like transition of scenes and stuff, I feel like it's just really cool um, to get that glimpse of mid 90s Christmas in Southern California and just yeah. sort of the vibe there. Um, and then although I kept thinking, like, how was like, how did they clear out? I, mean, I don't know what Venice was like in 94, but I'm like, how did they clear out the boardwalk for this? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's kidding. no way there's this few people here. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they really filmed it on Christmas. So apparently, everyone leaves LA <laughs> on Christmas. Out of there. Yeah. That's what I hear. Anyway, sorry, yeah. Matt. No, no, you're good. Um, and then like I really loved Felix becomes a painter by the end of the movie, and then yeah, basically the end credits is like all his paintings and depictions of like all the characters. Mm-hmm. And so once as the as the story progresses, um, you you start with all these characters in different places. And at some point, and it's it's right before the um, the gun goes off, all these characters find themselves in that same place, finally, mm-hmm. in the same place at the same time. And then when they're my favorite scene every single time, I love it every single time, is when the, the tree's been put together and they've come up with the plan to walk it down to the boardwalk and they've kind of got like this, like they're basically like wassailing, singing or they're caroling. Yeah. It's yeah. just like this. And, uh, uh Juliet Lewis's character brought them all like costumes for whatever reason. And yep. so they're all dressed up in these like different unique outfits and just caroling down the boardwalk with this dead body in a Christmas tree. Yeah. And I just, I love that scene. So yeah, good. the way that it ended like that, definitely like uh, my, my letterbox review was going to be closer to one and a half, two stars. But then, towards the end of the movie, I just, I liked the end of it so much. And that, that scene you're talking about carrying the Christmas tree is just so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, it was, it was super funny. Um, so it definitely between that and the, and the couple scenes that I mentioned before, that, that's what bumped it up to ended up being two and a half. Cause by the end of it, I was enjoying it, but it just didn't start that way. But like, also we need to do like a really bad plans, rush more mountain. Cause like <laughs> what, like, just the dumbest plan ever. <laughs> yeah. We'll dress it up like a tree, joke, but <laughs> we'll take it down to the boardwalk. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. Right. Notice. That's it. Then we'll go home. <laughs> that's it. I know. Yeah. That's the joke, but I'm just like, God 
damn it, that's a dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb plan. Yeah. And the fact that they actually do it, it's just I don't well, know, it's really it, funny. But and then like it, it is funny that the the movie starts out with the tree being ruined, but um, Parker Posey's and John Stewart's mm-hmm. tree being ruined, and then it just so happens at the end of the movie, they're the ones who you know yeah. blow it for everybody. You know, ooh, yeah. another so. Instagram poll: Who did it better? The the shitty couple who keeps getting Christmas ruined. Uh, Parker Posey and John Stewart, or Julia Louis Dreyfus and whoever the dude is in Christmas <laughs> yep. Vacation. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. Cool. So yeah, I think it's time to jump into what we are calling for this episode our Rushmore Martin. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? And we're going to go over some of our favorite Steve Martin movies. Um, I was surprised how many I like had on my list when I went through his IMDb. I was like, man, there's so many good Steve Martin movies that I don't know why. I was trying to do it without IMDb and I came up with, I mean, I came up with four. I was ready to go. I was like, well, I'm just going to double check and look. And then all of a sudden my list jumps to eight. I'm like, man, I've got to bump like a couple of these off because like there's some really great Steve Martin movies. Yeah. Um, as the host and the only child, I'm selfishly going to go last. So I'm going to okay. pass it off to Fuzz if you want to go first and let us know sure. where your uh, Steve Martin Rushmore is. For sure. Um, and it turns out that my first one is another one. Another movie that I didn't realize was an ensemble. Actually, you know what? That's not true. I did realize this was an ensemble. Uh, and despite it being objectively a pretty shitty movie, I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, it's Three Amigos. I'm Lucky Day. I'm Ned Niederlander. I'm Dusty Bottoms. So together we're the Three Amigos. <coughs> to me, that's just, it's almost like you, Matt. That was one of the first movies I shared with my grandpa. And he and I have a very similar sense of humor. And... Um, I remember, I don't remember if I watched it with him for the first time or if he just told me about it and I watched it. I don't know, but I watched it when I was pretty young and have just been a huge fan of it ever since then. Um, next was Bowfinger. That was one that like, we didn't like my family's not too much of like every, you know, we watch movies every Christmas. Right. And like my parents definitely like enjoy movies, but like we never, bought a lot of movies like we didn't have a whole lot of movies around the house we didn't have a whole lot of dvds one of them was bowfinger and i remember like that was one that for whatever reason we watched a bunch of times um and i just i just love that movie um next one kind of a similar story it was something i watched with my family all the time was father of the bride mm-hmm. and to this day when i'm grocery shopping i i do the the hot dog meltdown <laughs> in my head um, if i'm buying hot dog buns or hamburger buns or whatever excuse me sir what are you doing I'll tell you what I'm doing. I want to buy eight hot dogs and eight hot dog buns to go with them. But no one sells eight hot dog buns. They only sell 12 hot dog buns. So I end up paying for four buns I don't need. So I am removing the superfluous buns. Um, and then um, the next one was sort of open to, and I, I almost want to switch it at the last minute, but I don't think I will. It's planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, um, yeah. I just, yeah, what, I mean, I don't know what else you need to say about that. And it's funny because he's like John Candy is my favorite part of that movie, hands down, but Mm -hmm. it's still a Steve Martin movie. And he's Mm -hmm. just, he's very good at being like, just kind of a stiff that like you, I don't even know if I really like 
his characters. Like I'm sure I probably wouldn't like his characters if I met them in real life a lot of times, like especially this one, but for whatever reason you like still root for him. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. Uh, So, and then I had, um, obviously the jerk. I, you know, I don't love the jerk as much as a lot of people do. Um, but I definitely like it and I definitely recognize it, you know, that it's funny and whatever. Uh, and then another one that, almost i just almost switched out but i didn't because it's not technically a steve martin movie was baby mama uh, yes I love oh my gosh baby he's mama so, so good. much <laughs> his role in that is wonderful if he was yeah if he was in it more or if it was you know if for somehow he was this the supporting actor it, it would have made it but yeah it's probably my favorite character of his yeah uh but yeah love it how about you matt well i'm like I I like plenty of Steve Martin movies and get kind of similar to what Tyler was saying. I find his his characters and it's funny I until we did the Rushmore Mount I didn't really think about it but like yeah, he's typically plays the stiff character which is fine like a lot of comedians do that in their movies um versus after they've become like already well known through like stand up or other means. Um so it wasn't like totally surprising. Uh, but mine uh would be Number one, planes, trains, and automobiles. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. Um... And then I have Three Amigos as well. I love that movie as well. Um, the Jerk. And then I I have to, I'm sorry. I know he has over-exaggerated body movements, but he's got brown hair, man. I've got to put in mixed nuts. You gotta, in the Martin-verse, in the Martin-verse, you have to have the brown-haired Martin. Yeah, Fair enough. It doesn't make it's, sense. It's we don't know mountain, why they man. did that. Yep. <laughs> You got to do it. Um, but uh, a runner up would be father of the bride. And yeah. I also, I also love parenthood. Cool. Yeah. That, um, that makes it onto my Rushmore actually is parenthood. That's my first one. I think, I mean, again, like talking about it, that's a great ensemble movie. Mm-hmm. That's a huge ensemble movie. Yeah. Like, the, a young uh, Joaquin in that. Right. And Keanu Reeves. I need to watch right? that again. I actually have never seen this, so I'm like Keanu, just learning about this now. Yeah, yeah he's in like there. Rick Moranis, like we get that's a that's a great cast. That's a really good cast. Um yeah, Parenthood. I also have Bowfinger. I didn't know if that was gonna come up on one of your guys' like that's that I mean that was just like the right time, you know, right age, whatever for that. And that movie yeah. is wonderful. Um The Jerk also makes my list. I think that was like my first Steve Martin movie that I saw and What's the matter with these cans? 
Listen, you better run for cover. You're going to spring a leak. Huh? We don't have defective cans. We have a defective fight out there. He hates these cans. Stay away from the cans. Die, gas pupper. I know it's the traditional line, but the whole like, like he, he's what is he like? He's mad at these cans, or he hates these cans. Yeah. Like, so, like, just, I think about that line way more than I should in my life. Yeah. I love that line so much. Um, and then my fourth one is "Dirty Rotten Scoundrels." Him and um, Michael Caine. They are. I don't know if either of you guys have seen that, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't either. I I love that movie. They recently remade it called the hustle with Anne Hathaway and rebel Wilson, uh, I believe. Okay. But, um, man, I three runs counters is just, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, I had have to check it out. a couple of my, uh, honorable mentions. I mean, really it's everything you guys have already talked about. Three Amigos, father of the bride, planes, trains, like those are all so good. Um, but speaking of like just one role or whatever that like he kind of shows up for, but the movie isn't about him is uh, little shop of horrors. I think he's yeah. he's great in that as well. And then one movie that my dad put me on to that I had no idea about was called All of Me. Oh, jeez. I can't move my right leg. I'm paralyzed. Here, let me try. <laughs> we, we, we obviously have mutual control over our body. Our body? It's my body. I'm not sharing my body with anyone. Everybody's going to be real disappointed. <laughs> Where are we going? Got to find Crocolassa. I can't go in there. Skyler will think I... Excuse me, that's a private conversation. Do you mind? And it's like a body switch movie starring him and Lily Tomlin. Huh. And it's, you know, it's it's not the same premise, but it's like Freaky Friday, but with the two of them. And it is it is hilarious, as you imagine, hmm. you know, these these two comedy legends, you know, like kind of playing yeah. each other. It's, it's a really good movie. Um, so that would make my honorable mention as well, but yeah, parenthood, Bowfinger, the jerk and dirty rotten scoundrels would wrap up my Rushmore Martin, but a lot of good picks, I think between us, you know, like see, he's, he's done a lot of really good stuff. If we could have gone into TV, I definitely would have thrown in two wild and crazy guys, you know, like his, some sure. of his SNL oh, yeah. stuff is just like, is, is classic. Um, hmm. but yeah, I, I I overall am glad that we watched this movie. I may I think I feel that way about everything that we're watching. You know, sure. however I feel about it right away. I'm glad you nominated this one, man, because it was good to experience it. It's nice to have like another Christmas movie to throw into the arsenal. <laughs> you know, it's like oh yeah, we can check that out. And I I do feel like I will watch that again at some point. And I do think it's something that'll benefit from a second viewing. Yeah, thanks again for nominating this movie. I, I think it was great. I hope you guys check it out. Um, Steve Martin. Just always, he's always a classic. He's always a legend. Like this was a really good. It was, it was a strong performance from him, especially like carrying on this ensemble. But I mean, I'd give my my MVP to Madeline Kahn without a doubt. Oh yeah. Um, thank no you question. everyone though for listening and for for watching and just going along this journey with us. Like we're still having a blast. This wraps up our unsung gems round. Our next round, um, we've actually taking a hands-off approach here. And <laughs> after a year of putting our respective partners through all these movie watches, we are letting them take over the next round of movies. So we've got a, a partner's picks movies coming up. Um, we got some, some great movies, I think on the horizon, we've got Vox Lux with Natalie Portman. We've got my personal favorite Denzel. We've got man on fire coming. 
And then we have one movie that I didn't know existed and I'm so excited to watch. And that's Babes in Toyland <laughs> with Keanu Reeves, Andrew Barrymore. And I think that'll be the next episode that you guys listen to will be Babes in Toyland. So thanks again, everyone, for all your support. You. We really appreciate it. We love hearing from you guys. Please, you know, like, subscribe, all this kind of stuff. If you want to become a patron, we're going to have the Christmas um, watch party coming up. Um, this will be coming out right as we're kind of announcing it. So we'd love to have your involvement with that. Thanks again to everybody. Hope you guys are all staying safe. We'll see you next time. See ya. Go to the bathroom first. Of course you may. Thank you.